spontaneous labour is like a finely trained, highly skilled, synchronised swimming team. An amazing interplay between child who sent that signal of readiness into mum's bloodstream and mother responding. A routine, almost routine use of these instruments because we're having women on their back. I can't describe how incensed I am that we're still doing that in 2019. But women are not ill, they're just pregnant. Hi, I'm Christina. And I'm Sarah. And welcome to What the Wellness, a podcast brought to you by the Wellbeing Bureau. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this episode of our podcast with Kemi Johnson. Um, This is an episode that's really close to my heart. And I wanted to tell you a little bit about why and how I know Kemi before we get into the interview with her, which is absolutely amazing. So Kemi, um, I met Kemi when I became pregnant with my son and was going to pregnancy yoga classes. And Kemi came to give us a talk about hypnobirthing and natural birthing. And I instantly fell in love with her and knew that I had to go on one of her courses with my husband. And so we signed up to do a course with another couple and it was a two-day course. And throughout those two days, I learned so much about birth, natural birth, how birth, how my birth could be. Um, And so did my husband. And she gave us so much knowledge and she's so passionate and wonderful about birth that it gave me the confidence and my husband as well to have a natural birth, which I ended up doing, had a natural birth at home with no pain relief um, and the way that I wanted it to be. So I felt totally in control. It was a really long birth because my son decided he wanted his hand next to his head. But um, I managed to never be scared throughout the whole process. And that was one of the main things that Kemi gave me, which I will forever be grateful to her for. So that's how we know Kemi, and she's just an absolute force for good. Um, And so here is Kemi Johnson, the amazing woman. Kemi, we are so excited to be here with you. I'm very excited. Welcome (laughs) to our podcast. It's been a long time coming. We've wanted to do this for a long time. I know. (laughs) It's brilliant to be here with you. Can you tell us? You, in your own words, hmm. how you see yourself in your role? Yes. So uh, I, I call myself a birth keeper and not everyone knows what that is. But a birth keeper isn't always a midwife. It can be a doula or a journalist or a researcher or it's we're a group of people who are driven to preserve the sanctity of birth, um, how it works, to facilitate it in the best way possible to preserve the total well-being of the woman and the baby. So it's much more than them being alive at the end of yep. birth. Right. So um, so we all call identify ourselves as birth keepers, but we have different roles in the birth keeping. I love that term. Mm. Yeah. It's brilliant. It, it suits us. Yeah. And it's, um, we can't, it took a while for me to just claim and hold the role mm. because the people 
who are birth keepers and who have gone before as birth keepers. I mean, so I've been so much awe of them that I didn't want to, like, take that until I really felt I could wear it. So I do feel, I I feel I can wear it now. You absolutely can. Absolutely am. That's amazing. Can I just tell you, when you say that word birth keeper, as a woman who hasn't had a child, and I've kind of been, you know, I'm getting to the... (laughs) <laughs> end of my <laughs> I have a few more days but you know <laughs> it's not over okay. but you know I'm there and it's like actually just you saying that word mm. makes my understanding you know whatever it can be of childbirth and there's almost like oh I've just been looking at this like you're shooting out a baby and yeah. it hurts and yeah. then you have a baby yeah but this is like, that brings actually so much more. So There's another dimension to it. Yeah. Me as a scientist primarily, wasn't I didn't see it. And mm-hmm. it wasn't until I'd been around enough women to see the differences between ones that had been allowed um, the full rite of passage as opposed to women who just got it done and survived it and... But angry about it, and you know, right. there's, there's a difference, mm. and it's largely about how how you're treated, mm. and if you're honoured, yeah. and honoured by everyone, including partners, and honoured by the your educator, and honoured by the hospitality, you know, who got you food, who washed your feet, who brushed your hair. You know, how was your child handled? Was it gently? Were they rough with your child? Because if somebody... um, It's getting emotional. (laughs) If somebody manhandles your child, um, for you to cope with that is a a combination of feelings. You're feeling grateful to be alive because your expectation is so low of childbirth. And then if someone kind of handles your child roughly, you don't want to stop them because you're feeling grateful to be alive and possibly because you had such low expectations you let your caregivers get away with stuff that really you know when you're feeling whole and well and less vulnerable you wouldn't tolerate but then you feel guilty about it later you're so vulnerable when you when you've just given birth or in that process that's right i've heard loads of people talk about how you know like how traumatizing not even you're not even birthing or the pain or anything it's being treated like a piece of meat yeah and yeah. you know not being treated like a human being which is like yeah awful it's, in it's, this day and age it's, it's unimaginable actually yeah. and that's why a lot of people go into denial that it could happen to them and then have to recover from it happening to them mm-hmm. so like with Sarah and Garrick what I noticed was um, they listened really keenly to what I had to say, but then they went and took some actions that many first-time birthers don't. So I think it's because of the way you um, you approach life anyway. I think you were not willing to have this most precious moment taken away from you, the control of it taken away mm. from you. Um, <clears throat> but that's about the way you live your life generally. So... Yeah. Um, so you then applied that to preparing for birth. Yeah. Um, many of us are raised to be compliant and to see um, healthcare givers as God. And um, like 
that kind of external locus of control thing that happens mm-hmm. where you expect to be saved. A lot of people expect to go to the doctor and to get a pill. Yes. And that will make them better. Yes. Yeah, or even you're guaranteed a solution. Yeah. Something yes. you yeah. know more well, than they're me. They're God, yeah. aren't they? Yes. So, so they're going to fix it. But mm. then <clears throat> that's not how it works. It really isn't. It, and, you're just, and you're just masking over whatever problem it is. That's right. Sometimes we, we don't want to take responsibility for anything. Mm. And, and then when something goes wrong, we can just say, okay, this, yeah. you know, like taking responsibility for having heart disease yeah. or yeah. whatever, you know, like trying to prevent stuff yes. happening to you yes. is taking responsibility and taking the steps to make sure. I don't know, I think we're brought up, especially in this country, to think that you just go to someone and they'll tell you what to do and yes. you do it. Yes. Well, you know, that's interesting though because it's like you're treating your own body. You're yeah. treating yourself yeah. like you're a piece of meat, actually. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, oh, you're not just a thing you can take and put some salt and pepper on yes. and then it's all good. And it's all good. But <laughs> this is this is the truth of, mm. of the matter that actually we have created, all of us have created the situation that's occurring in childbirth. It's not that I, I can't point at the caregivers and say that's your fault. Um, we've all done it. You know, parents, partners, you know, yeah. well, we, us as parents, but then our parents as well. Mm. Um, we've all perpetuated this idea that when you're pregnant, you're ill or something that needs to be fixed. Mm. And that you're just, you know, the woman who lacks the ability to you know, to go through this process without assistance. So, okay, just lie back, you know, open your legs, you know, we'll, we'll take care of it. And, and actually there are many, many women that think that's normal and that's okay and comply. I'm actually my, I always say I'm worth my weight in gold and it's because I'm actually worth more the less I do. I think we sabotage a lot of births in our doing and mm. our helping. And it was actually a doula that showed me that, um, Liliana Lammers. So her partner's Michelle Odont. So they've worked together for, with many, many women and the women have realised their power around this couple. Um, Michelle's often not in the room. Liliana might be, but she'll be very quietly in the room. And I was at a birth with her, the first birth I had with her as a doula me as a midwife and I was doing my helping (laughs) (laughs) so she taught me I was I was helping by rubbing her back and being very present and and um the the, the labor was relatively fast for a first-time birther and then um Liliana waited until the mother had gone to the bathroom and she said to me do you know this baby would be born much more quickly if you stopped helping she did bunny ears <laughs> and, I, and I looked at her and she's been at many thousands of births over many decades yeah, <laughs> and mm-hmm. I just thought this woman's going to teach me something yeah and so I stopped helping and um and then um she said to the mother I think if you had some time alone in the bathroom you'd come out within the hour with a baby and the mother said, okay. And she went into her ensuite and she came out within the hour with a baby. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So I got taught. I got schooled. <laughs> I was schooled. And so that's when I learned to do even less. <laughs> right. So can you tell us your journey? Can you tell us? Yeah. Because how many children do you have? 
I gave birth to two. Two. Um, yeah. I ended up raising five. Right. I've always liked a full house. Yeah. Mm. And um, the universe conspired that that would be the case. And um, and they're all amazing. Yeah. Um, and all close. So <clears throat> when I... Um, I knew I wanted to be a midwife from the age of 15. Wow. But as I couldn't keep a plant alive, I knew that definitely got the black thumb. (laughs) (laughs) So I was really concerned about being left in charge of women and their babies. So I scuttled right away from that into accountancy, managed to balance books, etc. It kept calling me, calling me. So I ignored the call, went and had my own children, had atrocious births. And thought, oh gosh, I can't let other women go through this, but I cannot take the responsibility of being a midwife. So then I started do- being a doula on the sly. On the sly. On the sly. into people's births. I'm just going to be here doing nothing. And I did it really well. (laughs) I did it really well. And um, so I started to see normal birth unfolding. I thought, why didn't I get that? And then I started to put two and two together and it was starting to make sense. And um, one day I just broke down in tears and um, my finance manager was just going, what's wrong with you? And I said, I have to be a midwife. <laughs> She's like, well, just come on then. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I went and started my midwifery training, met some amazing people. Um, but all the time I was a bit different. So I liked being in the birth room and I liked doing nothing and I really resented some of the things that we were encouraged to do and didn't make sense and then got my registration and then one day just had this nightmare that just contained all the children that I'd clamped and cut their cords straight away. Can you tell us about um, what you mean by clamping and cutting cords? Right, so... I was taught that when a baby is being born, I should give an injection into the woman's thigh at the point of birth. Um, and it, the injection is, uh, at the time, was called syntocinon. So it's an oxytocic, and it's meant to make the woman's uterus contract to facilitate releasing the placenta. However, whenever we were taught to give that, we had to then <clears throat> clamp the cord the baby's umbilical cord that leads back to the placenta, cut it, then put another clamp on it or forceps and then use them to pull the placenta out by the cord. So it's called controlled cord traction. So so that's what we were taught to do and we weren't taught there were any other options. What it means is that the baby, a third of the baby's blood was always wasted. So it was in the placenta and not in the baby. And when a baby's had, it's like if you were to lose a third of your blood complement, you'd, you'd not be feeling very feel well. That, yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so we'd been systematically doing that. And obviously it wasn't just me, it was all the babies being born mm. were all having the same thing done. So straight away? Straight so away. So not allowing it? No, there was no delayed cord clamping yeah. in those days. There was no minute to three minutes. It was immediately like... And- 
What's the benefit of this? Like, why did they start doing that? Because it doesn't make sense. You think about, yeah. we've been here forever. We did not have these clamps and things. And See, that wisdom, so, that common sense is right there. It just goes to show when you're in an institution, it's like you have sometimes have to park your common sense like by mm. the front door as you go in just to survive in yeah. the institution. This is the way we've done stuff. This is the way this we do it. Don't question it. You're only a student. What would you know anyway? You know, and actually... It's not a medical condition being pregnant. It's actually common sense and it's a natural thing. And so, um, yeah, it was very difficult to sleep with the knowledge that I'd done that to so many okay, children. Yeah. So I stopped sleeping and I stopped eating oh, and it was it was, it was quite dramatic. I couldn't get out of my pyjamas. I couldn't leave the house. Um, it sounds so weird and dramatic, no, but, but it was just yeah. the, the weight of it all. And then at that point, I realised I could never clamp and cut a cord again, which is great because around that time, the amazing Amanda Burley, um, who's a midwife, who has actually handed back her registration because she was bullied mercilessly for the work she did to help us understand the harm we were doing to babies. Wow. Um, so she is no longer a practising midwife. But but babies are saved because now it's at least delayed cord clamping. And then she's gone on to start a campaign called Wait for White, which is where you wait for all the blood that the baby wants to retrieve from their placenta to be in the baby. The cord goes white and flaccid, looks like chewed gum, basically. Yeah. And then you can clamp and cut the cord without injury to the baby. But it means that the baby's got all of its blood. And if the baby's got all of its blood, that means rather than taking blood from the liver and the brain to help the lungs to work properly it's got a full blood complement yeah so the lungs work properly at the point of birth as well as all the other organs mm. so it is it just makes sense doesn't it yeah like yeah, if you talk like, about why? it you're just like oh why would you yeah, not that's do right. that why would you not do <laughs> yeah. that and they've they've now got research 2019 showing um, the difference between babies who had the cords clamped and cut before five minutes and after five minutes. And of course, you know what's going to show, right? Mm. It's going to show higher IQ, higher attainment, higher iron levels, uh, you know, in yeah. the blood and things, you know. So it's kind of obvious. Yeah. <laughs> can I can I ask you a question just from me as someone who hasn't gone through childbirth? Yeah. Um, I'm really interested in... If you could kind of give us an idea of what the difference will be, what would, what, you know, an experience, one with Kemi and one, you know, or someone, you know, of oh. like you, who you are, and then just a normal one where you don't have that support and you're in the hospital alone, um, just so mm. we have like a clear idea of what, really what's happening. I think if a woman's left alone she could have an experience similar to the one that she would have with me then. I know it sounds awful, but um, if I'm there, what I'm, tr what I'm trying to facilitate is her feeling safe, but then going into this bubble of hormones that gets the job done really efficiently. So, uh, so I, I want her, my presence for her, for her to feel safe in it, but I don't want her to think that I have to be doing anything because I don't. Because, well, it's like um, I was I was um, teaching with Catherine Graves at the weekend, um, parents, and one of them is a farmer, and he'd he'd missed the first day of teaching, but was there for the second day because um, 
he had other commitments. And he was there for the second day and he came up to me afterwards and he said, and he basically, he basically taught what he didn't have on the first day. He kind of, because there was a group of us by then. And he said, yeah, I'm a farmer um, I would never dream of entering a stall where one of the animals was giving birth. I wouldn't dream of making a noise. I wouldn't dream of disturbing the process or trying to help unless I need to help. He said, because I know that by me stepping into the stall or changing the environment for that animal, there's a chance that we could lose the young because it, it won't unfold in the same way. And he's basically teaching. Yeah. He was basically saying what I teach or what we teach on day one and um and i just i just i felt a bit emotional when he was talking about it again i'm quite emotional about what i do because i know so many women aren't afforded that respect but a farm animal is Mm. um so you know a woman would be expected to change state to have strangers enter her environment to be asked to open her knees and you know open her legs for a stranger and and so the thing about that again is that I don't actually do vaginal examinations unless there's a clinical reason to do so so if there's if if she's not following a usual path then it would be helpful for me to find out exactly what state her cervix is in Mm. which way the baby's looking etc but it's still an offer she doesn't have to accept it because that's actually her body she has agency I, I and but what happens to a woman who's somebody who's doesn't practice in that way is that she's she's in a vulnerable state and then she's frightened into opening her legs so it's not much different from being raped so you know we call it obstetric violence um some people if you mention that term people get very you know no but we have to do these things to prevent to preserve the safety of the woman and the child no you don't you don't have to violate a woman to keep her and the baby safe um i've never had to and mm-hmm. i guess certain situations actually if she's in a state of collapse then maybe to save her and the baby and she's in a state of collapse you have to do things without asking but I've not seen a woman in that state of collapse and mm. I know there are people that do and so I understand that they may have a skew towards behaving like that but I'd, would, I would, all of us would appreciate if they could tell the difference mm. between a woman who's in collapse and unresponsive and what you might have to do and what is being done to women several times a day in our maternity services at mm. the moment. I think that... Um I think what I think is great about your role is that the information that you provide mm. so is so important, which I know is why you have moved from being a midwife That's right. to being an, an educator. That's right. Because... I'm occasionally a midwife, you're, but yeah, my main role is an educator. Yeah, so by giving people information... So, like, the norm, thinking it's normal to have someone put their hand inside you yeah. and root around. Or yeah. as I was explaining to Christina earlier about um, induction. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, like, the, all these things considered normal mm-hmm. because society thinks it's normal or doesn't question it or mm. doesn't have the information. Mm. And the fact that if you actually talk about it and and, and analyse it, that it... Why is that normal yeah. to have someone stick their hand in yeah. you? Yeah. And you think, as a woman, I should just 
you know submit i should just shut up and this is you know they know and what be they're grateful. doing yeah they know what they're doing yeah sarah you mentioned induction um, yeah. which is a biggie because yeah. it's an intervention yeah and um membrane sweeps you know i harp on about it but membrane sweeps are an induction they are an intervention so can you tell us what a membrane sweep is so a membrane sweep is probably um I, I always kind of say, yeah, about 90% of women have had one because <laughs> it just seems that everyone's having one. And um, I don't do them at all. So like, how would you lead into someone having an induction? Yeah. What's, what is the policy for when a woman gets to... Yeah. Um, so the, the membrane suit, before I forget, yeah. is part of the induction process. Right. And because it's not a pharmaceutical or an instrument... A lot of people will say, no, 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 it's not. It's just a sweep. But it's it's trying to make birth happen before the spontaneous event of the interplay between mother's hormones and baby's hormones or baby's release of protein and mother's hormones responding. So it, anything is induction. So going to reflexology to make the baby come is induction. You know, it's, it's all induction. It's trying to make something happen when your body's not quite ready yet, otherwise you'd be in labour. So the sweep involves a woman lying on her back. Um, the midwife or the obstetrician will have a glove and maybe some lubricant and will then try and access the cervix. So enter the vagina and the cervix is at the top of the vagina, trying to get a finger or two in there to uh, inside of the cervix to separate the amniotic sac around the baby from the cervical tissue of the woman. So when they do a sweeping action, like in a circle, they release a hormone called prostaglandin that is impregnated in the cervical tissue. And that prostaglandin ripens the cervix. So basically, someone with a finger is doing what the baby's head would do because the baby just swishing around, a well-engaged baby swishing around on the cervix will do the same thing. It will release right. prostaglandin, but they're trying to make ready. it happen soon. Yeah, when right. it's ready. <laughs> right. So, so we all go in there and fidget around, but um, it's a wonderful um, saying um, by the amazing, great Mary Cronk, who's uh, one of our matriarchs who sadly passed away a few months ago. And, and she was always fighting for women and advocating for women. So she said, um, induction, she said, she'd start and say, you know, um, spontaneous labour is like a finely trained, um, highly skilled, synchronised swimming team. And induction is like shoving one of them in <laughs> and expecting the rest to catch up. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, it, you're never going to get the same result. Because spontaneous labour is 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 an orchestra. It's a dance. It's it's an, an amazing interplay between child who sent that um, signal of readiness into mum's bloodstream and mother responding. And when we do things like poke around with a cervix or stick a balloon in there, cook's balloon, just stretch it open, or oh, let's just get some PG three, you know, so let's get some prostaglandin and just stick it up there and see what it does. And then, okay, let's <laughs> let's break the waters and let's see what that does. I'm going to bomb into the swimming pool and just see if they can <laughs> do a routine around me. <laughs> so chuck it all in. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay, let's just break the waters and see what's like. Oh, okay, let's go and get some synthetic oxytocin. Uh, Bang that into her bloodstream and see what happens. 
the wheels have come off. I say, okay, we'll do a C-section. And that's what's happening to women all the time in this country. If we're talking about your role as a hypnobirthing yes. teacher... Yes. Um, could you explain to us what hypnobirthing is and how it feeds into... Because yeah. I think, for me, before... I knew what it was. Mm. I was a bit confused by the title. KG hypnobirthing has elements of what people would expect. It's, you know, the hippie bit. <laughs> so, you know, it has the relaxations, it has affirmations, visualisations, breathing. But we've always kind of had that for birth. And if it was really, really effective, then... We wouldn't be around. KG hypnobirthing wouldn't be around. And I always have to say KG hypnobirthing, but it, because there are, there's KG hypnobirthing and then there's other hypnobirthing. And I don't know what the other systems are, but I have worked with women who've studied the other systems and they seem to lack certain parts of the information that we give in KG hypnobirthing. And KG is? Catherine Graves hypnobirthing. Okay. So Catherine is a force <laughs> she really is I'm, I'm, I try not to sit there admiring her but it's difficult sometimes to just not stare at her or um, she's so driven and she's so she, she's literally given up everything to create this course and she refines it all the time. One of the main parts of it, which you already covered, Sarah, yeah. is it's not just giving the parents techniques, it's taking away the fears. So it's giving them tools to deal with fear. And one of those tools is knowledge. How does the body actually work? What's the body trying to do? How does your mind affect the way your body works? So we give that information. We give the techniques, which is what everyone's coming for. But then we talk about, there's another aspect that's quite new, fairly new, um, where we actually talk about, okay, so now you are aware that your body actually works. And occasionally, bodies don't. You know, birth is as safe as life is. There's no guarantees. Mm. But the majority of the time, the body will work. Here's what can impact your body's ability to work. So we have a session that talks about the induction. Uh, being told that your baby's too big, your baby's too small, you're too old, your BMI's too high, your BMI's too low, and all the other, all singing, all dancing. I didn't finish my story, actually. I'll do it in a minute. So all of that is happening to women. And then, oh, anyway, let's just help you along with a sweep. It's really not help because, again, it starts a process that your body's not really prepared to finish without help. So if you start with the sweep, you're more likely to need the other things to finish the labour. Mm. And finishing the labour sometimes means that the baby's not quite in the right position. So then it may need the forceps or if it is in the right position but she's exhausted because of the long process then it might need the von Tuzes, like a sink plunger on the head and but we have it's, yeah it's called <laughs> I'm sorry I didn't even know I, that sounds like medieval torture it, it, yeah. it, it, they do it carefully and there's a limit to how many times they can do it but okay. yeah I, I mean most of us would prefer that our babies were excreted using gra gravity um, we've developed like a routine almost routine use of these instruments because we're having women on their back 
And um, it's, it, I can't describe how incensed I am that we're still doing that in 2019. But anyway, um, the other aspect of hypnobirth, so we've got the fear, t dealing with the fears, acquiring knowledge, um, letting people know that they've got options and what those options are, exposing them to the new research because it, it's, it's clear that when they're going into maternity services, they're not getting the 2019, 2018, 2017 research. I, I love the NHS. I love yeah. the NHS. Yeah. And um, it was about fixing stuff, which is great. But then it's expanded to all these other things and including maternity services. But women are not ill. They're just pregnant. And so the ethos of fixing things like my broken arm or my cancer cells is now spread over to maternity, which is not something that needs to be fixed. Mm. So mm. they're just finding stuff to fix. Yeah. Because it's really true, isn't it? So true. And once you approach it from they're pregnant and it's a natural thing and their bodies are designed to do that, we would do much less. But, you know, as you're saying this, I'm just thinking that this is this mindset is sadly where we're at with yeah. so many things. Like we've, we've just been conditioned to not think for ourselves, to trust Very other good. people, not ourselves. So and true. it's, you know, this it's detrimental on so many levels, but yeah. this is... You know, um, this it's is an extreme, it's such a thing, personal it? thing. Yeah. I think it's massive. It's an important thing that we have to deal with. We have to deal with it. Well, that was amazing. It she's, sure was. She's such a force, isn't she, Kelly? Totally. Um, I am just so excited about bringing all this information to the forefront and just getting it out there for people because it's so important I, I sort of can't believe that it's going on yes it's mind-boggling when you really hear what's happening and all of the options I think that's something that she mentions the different options to women around childbirth mm, and, and you're just and how we don't know yeah and how you're going into a system and you're assuming that that system is working for, in your best interests but actually by going into the system you are on that conveyor belt of you've got a certain time limit to go from here to here and you know like and this box got to be checked that box has got to be checked rather than thinking about what's best for you and your baby I mean even the, the thought of induction is just crazy if you really mm. analyze it isn't it but and that it's so normal and that someone can say to you oh, you're 40 weeks now so it's time to you know we need to get Pop baby out. out yeah yeah it's but wild it's I actually can't believe you know I think it's particularly moving with this topic coming from this angle because it's so I mean birth is life it's the beginning of life it's one of the most important elements of living you know creating births being born and assisting people you know with birth and then life and I just can't believe that something that is so important can still be put on the conveyor belt and we can become not ourselves. And it just highlights to me as someone who hasn't given birth, wow, if if the system, you know, will do that with one of the most important bodily functions for a woman, what else are they doing that with? And where are we allowing that to happen? And not questioning it. Yeah. yeah. Mm. 
well, and also you think how many people give birth? It's a really popular thing to do, <laughs> you know? Um, and if you don't know and take control of what's going on, you could really get led down a not a very nice path. The other thing I thought was really particularly interesting was what Kemi says about um, parking your common sense when you get involved with an institution. It's understandable, isn't it? Like if you're part of that institution that maybe you you, you have to work in a certain way if that's your job. Yeah. Um, and to question it might mean losing your job. It's a really difficult thing. For me, the whole thing, you know, when I met first met Kemi and she and I, I just, I read the Catherine Graves book, and it's very practical, and it just goes through and tells you, you know, what's happening and how your body works and how your body can function and why your body might not be functioning so well, because other people have got involved or you've been in, induced or you're absolutely petrified or you're in a state where you're, you know, you're scared all of the effects that this has on you. There's one of the things that um, it says in the book, or I think Kemi says, or I can't remember which one, but it's like, it's saying that like giving birth, imagine you're in a room full of people you don't know with bright lights, lying on your back, and you're asked to do a poo. Right. You would not be able to go, right? Because <laughs> yeah. you'd be like, suddenly uh, my poo has completely dissolved. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's the same thing, you know, and you're being asked to do all this stuff and you're in fight or flight mode. Right. And then you're wondering why the baby doesn't want to come out because your body is saying, no, 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 no. <laughs> Freeze. I'm not, yeah. yeah. I'm not comfortable. Yeah. Um, but that book is amazing. And we'll put links into show notes of. Um, all the amazing people that Kemi mentioned, I think Liliana Lamas, Michelle O'Dont, Amanda Burley, Catherine Graves, Mary Cronk, and of course Kemi's website and um, the KG Hypnobirthing website. So the links are all in show notes for those so you can go and look at all those wonderful people. Start your research. Yeah. I hope everyone, even if you're not someone who is having a baby in the next few months or in the future, you know, if you think of somebody, I think this is so important, share it, you know, and let people at least have the option of choosing what kind of birth they want to have. They may not choose a natural birth, but maybe they will, you know, mm. and I think it's... This is about having information, isn't it? Yeah. And having choices and, and just being in control of what you want to happen. Just anybody. It's basically about creating this as common knowledge rather than everything we see in the movies, which is women on their backs, in, you know, in stirrups, screaming. Fearful. Fearful, yeah. And their faces all screwed up and red and whatever, which is totally unlike what actual, you know, if, you, if you're just in the zone and you're in the dark and you're on your own or you're just, you just go into a zone and it's totally not like that at all. That looks really, really scary and horrible. Whereas actually giving birth is just something... It's more like you see farm animals doing. Like You're like mooing and, and you're on your own and you're focused. You know, you don't want to be on your back. You want to be sort of on all fours or bearing down. You want the baby to come out. You know, you want to, your body just wants to use gravity. And if you just let it, it sort of, it sort of does what it needs to do, I think. Amazing. Most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> Most of the time. Yeah. Which is pretty good. Yeah. 
Well, I think that's all we have for today, but we had such an amazing time speaking with Kemi that we have a whole other episode of amazing information for you coming up shortly. She's she's a fountain of knowledge and we couldn't fit it all into one, could we? (laughs) Her fountain overfloweth. Absolutely. (laughs) Oh, she's amazing. So we'll be back with our second episode of Kemi soon. And we want to say thank you for listening and thank you to Kemi for being here. This podcast has been brought to you by the Wellbeing Bureau. All opinions are our own. If you have a health or wellbeing issue, please seek the advice of a registered health professional. Follow us on Instagram at whatthewellnesspod. And don't forget to subscribe. See you next time. Bye. Bye.